Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Hello and welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm David Hepworth and I'm joined by... Andrew Harrison. And... Mark Ellen. Is everybody well? Well, That's a very loaded question, Dave. Yeah, yeah, we're fine, thanks. Good. We've got some... Are you well, Mark? I have a raging hangover. (laughs) I'll be absolutely honest with you, David. I have got a hangover. I I did have a party yesterday. It was my 25th uh, wedding anniversary. And the party went on for 11 hours. It's, so there we are. It's more than you can take. Yeah, it was really. terrific. It ended with my two sons, uh, this is probably what cleared people off eventually, doing their terrific set of Daniel Johnson covers on the, on the acoustic guitar. Isn't that great? For the benefit of anybody who doesn't know, can we have a thumbnail sketch of Daniel Dale Johnson? Because he's not the most obvious. He's, a, a, he's a, a legendary depressive, I think, <laughs> yes. first of all. Was a poor so old boy. Said, we now like to play a couple of songs. Yeah, by, by, by a guy in his late depressive. 40s who's living with his parents. That's right, you know. And on strong medication, but he's a wonderful fellow. Yeah. He's written some brilliant songs. So you basically said, when it comes to out past eleven, we want to clear the room. Get up, do Daniel Johnson. Do Daniel Johnson. Yeah. We all go to bed. We were yeah. only talking Which about last time. Yeah. 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 music to clear a room. So you know, Rob and Tom Ellen are available. <laughs> come round. End your party. Clear your party. And uh, we're also also in the pod having a drink of water at the moment. Is Matt? Oh, let's say hello, Matt. Hello, uh, Matt. We, uh, amongst the feedback on the on the Word Magazine podcast Facebook group. Uh, we got, uh, I, I wish that Matt Hall was featured more often. He's a great voice and lots of interesting yes. things to say. Matt's mum. That's <laughs> 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 Mum, don't embarrass me. It's yeah. Brian Cleary who yeah. said that. Is that your gay lover? <laughs> I swear it's not. Are you, you going to be the smiley Marley of the word podcast? So, Excellent. Yes. Anyway, Matt, was, uh, we, were, we were trying to fill up a notional map of the world with little flashing lights for where there are people listening to the podcast, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're asking people to get in touch and tell us. And and we got James Lloyd Choles, to give him his formal title, who got in touch from China, saying how much he enjoyed the Richard Hawley gags and was amazed that they'd made it past the Chinese censor. Really? Now, this makes you think. <laughs> yeah. Do they have somebody in a room who listens to podcasts? Well, they've got two billion people there, uh, Dave, you see. They've got to find something for them all to do. So some poor Chinese got to sit in there going... 
what's that thing about Van Morrison and the Mouth Organ? They're all sitting there, you know, yeah. parsing the word po- podcast. So if you're there, hello China. It's hello. We'd, we'd love to get in touch with yeah. the gentleman yeah. or lady. Hello China. Our version of the Van Morrison story just had long gaps in it. Please tell us what happened. <laughs> so I think on that note, Dave, I think we should have, because I got several emails about those Richard Hawley jokes, and uh, and God bless Richard Hawley, because it's quite nice for him to, to uh, let us nick all his material. Well, he I think we should have a one-liner. As he did, exactly. <laughs> I think we should have a one-liner of the week. Oh, no, go on, and I think I've got one for go you. On. I saw my brother-in-law yesterday at this, at this party. We are talking about Groucho Marx. He came up with one of Groucho Marx's brilliant lines, which I thought was very funny. I don't know which film it is. He's talking to Margaret Dumont. Was it Margaret yeah, Dumont? Yeah, yeah. And she says, well, I'm off to get my beauty sleep. And he says, set the alarm for December. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. So also travelling around the world, we heard from Michael, I think I'm saying this right, Gerstenberger in Germany, who took took issue, Mark, with your saying that Ginger Baker sang Mother's Lament at the Albert Hall. Because according to Michael, who presumably came all the way from Germany... He did Prest Rat and Warthog. Oh, sorry, it was Prest Rat and Warthog. You're absolutely now, can right. You give us, can you give us a little... Uh, but isn't that the one? The mother was washing her baby? No, no, no it's, it's not. Like, no, it's not. It's Prest Rat and, rat and Warthog. Uh, something they closed their shop. down they their shop. They down their shop. It was all the way got. sold. Yeah. Oh, God, I can already so, tell anyway. all sorts of weird things. That's well, exactly right. And the reason, that no, was good. And the reason he did it, I think, was in order, very cunningly at the end, to plug the fact that, of course, Cream had a lot of very attractive and expensive merchandise available. He said, because he said, press right, walk up, close down the shop, but Kareem haven't. And if you want to buy a T-shirt, then there's one in the foyer. I thought, clunk, crowbarred <laughs> that one in. So we also heard from Patrice in Thailand. So anybody else in, uh, you know, far-flung uh, parts of the world, we'd, we'd like to hear uh, from them, wouldn't we, Matt? And get in touch who, was on the, the, who was the gentleman from Wellington who, who asked if it was the furthest from where the podcast was actually recorded? Uh, that's Wellington, New Zealand. I actually haven't got a, a note here myself, but yeah, we're... Hello to everybody in Wellington, New Zealand. You probably are about as far away. You know, unless there's somebody on the Pitcairn Islands, that's probably about as far away it's as we can get, isn't it? Can I mention Brian McCluskey as well, who sent this fantastic uh, email, and he says uh, he was listening to the one we did about three or four weeks ago about Sly Stone's gig. Do you remember we talked about, the, it was in the, in the piece in Word, actually, there was a Scottish guy heckling so vigorously that he was ejected from the concert. Do you know it? Jim Irvin was talking about it, right? Complaining, this guy was so miserable about the uh, low quality of Sly's performance that, uh, and he used some quite colourful language. He called him a Berkshire Hunt day, very loud. Anyway, he was put in a half Nelson and bundled out of this concert. Do you remember? And then eventually the, the bouncers let him back in again because they thought it, it was a fair point and well made. Anyway, anyway, this guy has got in touch. He said, "I was listening to your podcast. And I realised I am the person ranting and raving at the back of the venue that Sly Stone and the family, uh, Sly and the family Stone were playing in Bournemouth." Certainly the phrase, never seen a musician piss away a legacy, has the ring of being one of mine. Your <laughs> guest's impression of me was worryingly accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jim may well have done a, yeah. a hilarious Scottish accent, but anyway, Brian did so not he, mind. He's, he's immortalised. He's heading for heckler immortality, isn't he? Is, he is, yeah. yeah. That might make, make a good list. Well, Who else? Judas oh. is probably number one, isn't he? Judas, absolutely, and, on, um, on the Bob Dylan thing. And just somebody... It was the bloke you heard shouting, just shouting, do some old. Oh, do some uh, old. Uh, my old friend Robin Hitchcock was playing a concert and apparently this is what American audiences shout all the time now when they yeah. paid their money they paid their $50 they don't want to hear the new album and to be honest I can often share that sentiment and they just go do some old except in an American accent American accent sorry yeah. I came out and that one so also in the Heckler Hall of Fame is uh, on the, this is just for Mark and myself really or of a certain vintage on the Allman Brothers live at the Fillmore East somebody famously shouts 
<laughs> shrug. What? Yeah. Somebody famously shouts, Whipping Post! That's right. <laughs> and, and then they play Whipping Post. And for years, people used to go to gigs of all kinds of bands yeah. all over the world. Whenever there was a pause, people would just go, Whipping, whipping Post! I know. And, and why? I don't yeah. know. Which the poor bands were often rather mystified. Hasn't more cowbell taken You have to be there, Andrew. It's hilarious. More cowbell. They tell the story of more cowbell. Don't I hardly know the more cowbell well, story. You I'll, know it. Well, I you think I do. Well, I've seen this. This is a famous now, a kind of legendary YouTube clip, isn't it? That uh, it comes from Saturday Night Live. I think so, yeah. And, and it's basically got a load of the actors pretending to be uh, that, those low-rise, clever, heavy metalist Blue Oyster Cult as they're recording Will Don't, Ferrell's Fear, in it, isn't it? Don't yeah. Fear the Reaper. Oh, well, yeah, possibly under a, kind of, under a particular disguise. And Christopher Walken plays the very threatening, because he doesn't know how to do anything other than very threatening, very threatening producer. Yes. Who, and they're doing Don't Fear the Reaper. And if you go away and listen to Don't Fear the Reaper, and do go and look up this clip on, on YouTube, because it is very funny, that one of the most uh, prominent features of the, of the soundscape is the cowbell. You know, as soon as the, yeah, the, yeah. the rhythm track comes in, you get a donk, 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 a cowbell. And Christopher Walken's only production instruction throughout this whole sketch is he just keeps coming back out and going, more cowbell. <laughs> more <laughs> cowbell. <laughs> uh, and, and there they are, miming away and banging the cowbell. And anyway, that became, uh, yeah. that became a well-known um, YouTube clip. Do you remember we'll, the we'll people of a certain age? Do you, remember, do you remember shouting Wally at festivals? You didn't go to festivals, did you? You had more sense. Right? I used to go to every rock festival. Well, and for some bloke called Wally yes. got lost. Andrew's giving me a quiet rider. Look of consternation here. Oh, the old people are uh, talking about the glory days of rock and throwing yeah. more logs upon the fire and uncooking their yeah. cherry brandies. And, you know, don't, we'll get on to New Order in a minute. We're coming back up to date. Yeah, New Order very, very nearly ready for their bus passes. Spring chickens. No, but there was some guy got lost at a rock festival. I don't know what that is at Reading Festival, 1971, called Wally. And so he's basically shouting Wally. Yeah. And they're all shouting Wally. And so that used to happen at festivals. Oh, God, it probably still does now. You know, you no, know what? And everyone sat it down doesn't. and all shouting Wally. And since the book came out, since the words Wally book came out, it doesn't happen. Oh, do you think yeah. they found it, didn't they? Found it, they? Did Hans, Hans Blex found am, am I correct? <laughs> <laughs> am I correct in, in thinking that somebody told me recently they'd been to a gig and they'd seen Jesus had reappeared? Jesus to London gig-goers of a certain age was, was a chap with a very distinctive kind of pudding bowl haircut who used to appear uh, wearing a caftan oh, yeah, and it, vigorously it, banging a tambourine at just about every gig Every gig. There was, London There was the excited correspondence on the Rocking Vickers website about him. He was sighted, wasn't he, in a pub in North uh, But he'd North come London. back out of retirement. Yes, he's been resurrected. 20 years away. Was yeah. it the real Jesus? Roll away it? the stone. And now he's come extraordinary old guy, probably in his 70s now, still shaking his maracas. <laughs> but it was, it was definitely the real Jesus, then, not one of the hundreds and hundreds of completely identical bowlhead haircut captain mob that he could. At the time, to be fair, in, in, uh, in the, the great man's defence, he had a, a sort of proto mullet, didn't he, when nobody ever had yes. an awful sort of yes, rat tail. He was trembling towards a mullet. It was a mullet. Yeah, and, uh, and also carried a tambourine, which was always a you know, giveaway. On you used to see him on the tube with yeah, his tambourine. tambourine. Getting warmed with up. His, with his warmed up. Last time I saw him was the Stranglers at Battersea yes. Park. I remember being absolutely astonished. With his strippers, they were. Jesus. And I thought, this guy isn't really concentrating, because I thought his heart and soul was in things like Hatfield of the North. I was just seeing him watching No, no, he didn't back. care. But he really was it, it, completely indiscriminate. You know, there were the naked women chant, prancing around the stage. I don't think Jesus 
you know, was aware of it, really. Yeah. He, just, he could just hear rhythms and inanimate objects yeah. and was tapping his tambourine. Surely he was the son of God. He was the son of God. The word. So anyway, more feedback. I ought to mention, we asked people also where and when and where that they listen to the podcast. We're interested in that. And, uh, and David Graham uh, tells us he listens to it on his way home from work because he needs it to restore a smile to his face because he's an oncologist, he's a cancer specialist. So, <laughs> okay. so that's very yeah. fine. Glad to be of service. We're absolutely delighted to be of service <laughs> to you, David. But, uh, and also a technical point here. Uh, somebody uh, in our defence, in defence of the, of the highness of five here, um, somebody says, the echo on the word podcast adds a charming amateurishness which genuinely, genuinely adds to its enjoyability. And we say, what does he know? And he says... I'm the head of BBC News. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, I think that's wrong. So if he wants any, if they want to sort of rethink the uh, the appeal of, of the Today programme, well, I suggest what they do is yeah. get old Jim Notty and do it in a bucket, yeah, yeah. do it in a in a little lockup like yeah. us with a with a, a palm frond and some old mail sack yeah. and put a little tiny microphone which I'm picking up now on top of a raincoat. You, you, you just <laughs> you just, <laughs> just deafened the readers. I've just deafened the readers. Yeah. I pick up the mic. I'm sorry so, about so that. So you're suggesting they do the Today programme from inside the oubliette from which we'd perform this? Uh, I would have thought podcast so. Yeah, there, studio for a week. Let's just swap places and see if it's a job, a job exchange, isn't it? Yeah. So, as they say on the radio, keep that feedback coming. We do appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you. This is like two-way family favourites, isn't it? Yeah, it's, we've, we've done the world now. Yes. We're going to need BFP. If there's anybody in BFP, yeah. is anybody in Munster, yeah. this is the Teddy Bears picnic. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to the Beano annual. <laughs> That's right. The Dam Buster's coming up later. Don't worry, uh, and uh, and you know, keep joining the word uh, the podcast uh, Facebook group, yeah, all that, which went over three hundred this week. Yeah, yeah, we're we're very excited about that. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Facebook with a bullet. I'm really confused. Oh, Mark's joined Facebook by mistake. You know this. Yeah, I've been I mean, trying not to join Facebook, but I've somehow but been joined because people are yeah. asking. No, me you did it yourself. Did Mark? I? Yeah. Well, what, did, what button did I press? It kind of Apple Z. You order a cup of tea and yeah. you accidentally joined Facebook. My brother, my brother-in-law is obsessed. I'm talking about my brother-in-law. He's obsessed with Apple Z. I don't know if anyone who spends a lot of time on computers, I'm sure everybody listening does, he says, he says the thing is, you're in a, you go out to dinner or something, you knock over a glass of red wine all over somebody's dress, right? He said, he, he finds himself reaching for this apple's head. I do that. You know, because <laughs> you just feel, can you undo the things you do in life as easily as you can on a computer? What are the, what are the Wouldn't design- that be wonderful? But the, my, my mate Steve Hicks, who was the designer on the great, the late great Oh, magazine. Hicks, he. remember yeah. very well, yeah. He, he spent so much time operating uh, desktop publishing that when he was on the tube on the way home and he'd see somebody sort of leaning... Uh, in an asymmetric fashion in the tube seat with legs to the left and legs yeah. to the right in his mind he would be doing command C centre their legs that's right centre their <laughs> legs like, you know. that's right which one of them <laughs> could do that command C command Z they're, 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 yeah. it's trying to adjust the world so that yeah. it behaves yeah, like a right, digital yeah. device well you get exactly. used to be able to controlling it through computers and when you knock off it's just a shame that you can't anymore isn't these it? listeners they go what happened to the music related word podcast yeah, well, well, I'll tell you what God's raging balls oh, talking about the computers I'll tell you what no I think it's something that's come up today that we are just talking about is, uh, is Virgin Megastores are being sold, Andrew. R.I.P. Uh, it would be very hard to find a version on the high street anymore. Off, off. Yes, they're uh, <laughs> sold. <laughs> yeah, it's been sold to a load of... Ve- uh, no, it's management, Wait, so it's it's management, management buyout, buyout as far as we understand. Is it and, confirmed? Uh, it's, it, 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 I, can, I can confirm, Dave, uh, right, that good. it's uh, management buyout, I think it is, anyway. And it's, good, and it's no longer going to be called Virgin Megastores. What's it going to be called, then? Come on, it's guess. Gonna, it's going to be called... Not the spinning disc? No? It's not going to be called Tunes R.O. or anything like that. It's, it's gonna not going to be called Seen and Heard? No, it's... it's <laughs> 
to Kevin. Uh, no. Not going to be called Vinyl Solution or any of that kind of carry on. Oh, come on, it's we g- keep this going for a while. It's yeah. going to be, well, actually, viewers, if you want to suggest a better name for Virgin, email them in because whatever you come up with is going to be better than Zavi. How do you spell that? Zavi? Z A V V I, I think. Yeah. Is, that, is that some kind of acronym or something? Oh, I, think it's, I think it's something that's been generated by a branding consultancy on uh, the basis that there's no way somebody will already own Zavi.com so we can buy it ourselves. So it'll search up easily on Google because if you call it Tune Bucket or whatever, then there'll be a Tune yeah, Bucket. That's that's true, yeah. So made-up words are really powerful on the internet. Go back to the bloody internet. But in West music. London, there's a, there's a pizza chain called Zizi, so a lot of people are going in there and asking for a margarita. With yeah, well, I'll do really it. <laughs> yeah, there's a posh fish, fish <laughs> restaurant called Zilli's, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Zamo from Grange Hill, as uh, Eamon Ford from the, the, word, the Word has pointed out, he'll be in great demand there. And Zamo from Grange Hill, uh, last I heard, worked in a hardware store very, very near the Virgin Megastore uh, in Soho. Yeah. Just across the road from where we used to work on Oxford Street. He used to work in that hardware store around there. People used to go in and buy a few screws just to have a look. You used to be able to buy dance Rachel. records from uh, Roland. We only wanted to help you, Roland. He sold dance tunes up by the archway. And uh, I think the story had a bit of a uh, funny, uh, funny old ending, that one, didn't it? Anyway, <laughs> oh, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. <laughs> so anyway, is, there... this, is this a new theme, do you think? What? Big Sur by X Rockstars. There's an antique shop in Chiswick yeah. there's a member of Rare Bird. Oh, really? Send you, sell you a brass candlestick. I think there's a theme here. So how, did, how did you, oh, you discover this? Well, yeah. I discovered because it just looks like a member of Rare Bird. If that makes no, sense no, no, I'm not. No, 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 Dave. It looks look like an unreconstructed like... hippie. Well, tell me what it's like going well, in. Look, and so, well, what you do is you go in there and you basically get to go. You think he looks like kind of rock centric geezer. He may even have been wearing a Grateful Dead T-shirt or something, which is not the normal uh, uh, couture for people trying to sell brass candlesticks. And uh, I think you guys got a conversation with him about uh, things, uh, things rock and, and roll. And, uh, of course, they can't resist, nor can anybody, saying, well, well, of course, I used to be in a band myself once. And then you play that little guessing game. I, I love that game. Yeah. Do they go, Because they always go, no, they always yeah. say, you won't have heard of it. I always say, no, try me. Yeah. I probably have. Yeah. I, I had, a, had a, an absolutely catastrophic version of this, actually, once when, when my, one of my sons went to his new school. We went to this parents' evening. And you know when you're wearing a little badge and it yeah. says who your son is and all that? And, uh, you know, it's, it's like you know, you're there taking Lyle Sugar or something. And I look over, there's a bloke there, I think, oh, I recognise him. He said, it's only Martin Taylor of Wishbone Ash. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so... Uh, it was, was it a teacher? Or Martin, no, no, Martin Turner. Turner. Was it Martin Turner? Turner. Oh, the winner, yeah, Martin Turner. And I went up to him and I, I said, uh, I completely blew it, actually. And I said, my God, I can't believe Martin Turner of Wishbone Ash. I said, when I was 15, I sat underneath your, your, your microphone stand at Bracknell Sports Centre. He doesn't want to hear that. No, no, Dave, that's just where you're wrong. Oh, right. said, and, I said, <laughs> and I said, and I wanted to work out how, how you played the bass part to Phoenix, right, which is off the Wishbone Ash. Did he show Phoenix, rise, raise your head. Boom, from the scars. It's absolutely shocking. Song. And it's in three time, which is even more pretentious. And of course, it could go either way. It's either kind of like, sorry, I just don't, um, you know, I'm just shaking hands today, you know, not signing up. You know what I mean? Just the reverse. The guy followed me around for weeks. I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> but clearly, that's clearly the first place. What happened to me when I met Mike Rattledge of the soft machine who I lived next door to when I lived in Hackney about 30 years ago. I used to see Mike Rattledge walking down the street. The square glasses. The square glasses. Sorry, Andrew. We're going to get straight back to the order in a second. <laughs> Rattling his rectangles, and I went up to him once. I said, "I'm sorry, this probably happens all the time." He said, "No, no, it doesn't." I said, "I, I, I, I think you're right, Mike Rattling." I'm a little bit excited. No, that's absolutely fine. And he was thrilled. Yeah, and again, I walked up. So I've got to go to the team now. And he just literally walked all the way to the team with me, going on about the great days of uh, <laughs> the machine. You see, generally, generally speaking, though, people are delighted to be recognised. Of course, they are. Well, they are. Well, they they got a certain point in the bell curve. 
Go on. Well, when they when they've been over the hump of the career and they've kind of internalised the fact that maybe they're not going to be right back on the pyramid stage next year as soon as <laughs> the new material comes out, then when they realise that they kind of are where they are and they're staying there, they start to be happy that people remember who they are and, and recognise them. Right. But when they still think that they're on the you know on, on the, they're, on the, on the upswing. Backwards, they're yeah. entitled to just hold their hand in your face and go not now, mate. Yeah. Or, or, or you know I have, have you heard that. Well, I've uh, not now, mate. Um, not me, because you I don't get that from members to... of Rare Bird, I tell you. No, because well, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, would you like to come I tend to run into these people when I'm actually. Because <laughs> they're a pub sometimes. You know, when, when they're either waiting for me in a pub or I'm waiting for them in a pub right. to talk to them. You know what I mean? But there is a kind of, you know, you, you... have you never approached a famous person in the street that did no kind of professional hat on at all? And just kind of I am, well, created some kind of link. I interrupted um, what's his name from the Daily Show, the English guy, John Oliver, um, the other week. Um, oh right, you said I was, it. I was so excited. I was, it's John Oliver from the Daily Show. He's my hero. And I ran out of the restaurant to say, "Hey, I think you're great." Just as he was about to s- swoop in for a bout of tongue hockey with his girlfriend, who obviously he hadn't seen in ages because he lives in America and she <laughs> lives in London. So, so, it's just, so romantic. just as they're about to lock lips and, and having the cell, cell, separated from months on end, there's me going, hey, I think you work's great. I love your stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, but he took it in good part and the girlfriend sort of, you know, wild away the few minutes I while I pestered him. And he was quite glad to... I think generally speaking, people are fine. As long as they don't feel that they're going to be they're going to be stuck there for absolutely hours and there's mm. going to be, you know, a queue of autographed hunters uh, behind them. Mark Allen is, is, I have Don't to, trying to, to shut the door. he's trying to wedge the door shut, <laughs> yeah. uh, holding, holding business cards. What, That's right. To keep the pigeons out. To keep, <laughs> to keep the sound of young Islington out. Yeah. The Word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. But at the same time, HMV are working with this, this new, experimenting with a new concept uh, in their Dudley store, which they describe as a compelling multi-channel Social shopping space and experience. Well, that contains several alarm words like space, <laughs> compelling, experience, <laughs> and all the other multi. Stupid... <laughs> yeah, multi. Yeah. Well, well, multicolored swap shop is fine. In fact, this sounds like what they're they're launching here. Um, <laughs> is you sit there flogging, flogging the stuff that you just bought on the on eBay using the computers that they're lending to you. So they're going, you're going to be able to drink a smoothie. Um, while choosing a record. Now I've got a terrible confession to make before we go any further. I don't know what a smoothie is. It's a, a, I know my children in, occasionally. You don't live in West London. Well, the, 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 I don't. The, the people who invented smoothies went to the school at the bottom of our road. Is that the innocent smoothie people? Uh, the innocent smoothie people, yeah. This bro- and, podcast brought to you by yeah. innocent smoothies. Yes, Carry yes. on. Look yes. at this product placement here. <laughs> and uh, they've invented a, a, a very wonderful and nutritious fruit drink, Dave, which costs an A and an L, but it's absolutely <laughs> <laughs> What it is, Dave, is, you know, you know, like in the past, when people got too old to chew, they would mash and pulp up the fruit <laughs> yeah. and squirt it down their throat as they lay there on the bed yeah. praying for death. Now, when you're young and dreamy, that's when you pulp up and mash up the fruit and chuck it down your throat because yeah, you're probably like, off to see the klaxons at a rave or something. You know, so. yeah, it's, it's, Dave, it's for people who are like, too busy to eat or drink. I think. Like, in fact, do you remember in Space Odyssey 2001? Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. The space yeah. food in Space Odyssey space is food. basically... Leonard Rossiter, um, yeah. Le- Le- <laughs> It's, uh, it's microwave. It's microwave food in some tablet form. You, you, know, you, know, you, you were saying earlier. Can we get on the subject of music? Yeah. I just now we're talking about I the food. On the... To get you know, lasso the octopus back yeah. into the brown paper bag. He started an attempt it. to get on the subject of music. We were talking so... about HMV, and within about forty seconds, Leonard Rossiter yeah. made an appearance. In anyway, the I'm not. I, got, I, I don't I, want I, to talk about HMV. See, I don't think it's very interesting. So I'm desperately trying to change. No, it's I, really interesting. 
interesting. Right, it well, is very well, interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it, because we it, have said yeah. that, that if record shops are going to survive, they're going to make themselves destinations. They're going to make yeah. themselves yeah. places they used to be people want to go to. Yeah. They when used we, to be destinations. When we were all kids, even when I was a kid, that yeah. recently... Um, they were destinations. <laughs> you used to go. Order, used to make it. Used to trip to town to go to the record shop and hang about for hours. And hang around for hours. If they'd let you in, you could get up the bottle to let get in there. In. I'm really worried about where I so grew up. Well, Warton, Liverpool. No, going to going to probe in Liverpool was. An, you, you really had to screw up your courage because everybody in there was cool, mean. And taller than you. Everybody's taller than me, anyway. And the and the counter was huge. And behind the counter, scowling at you was Pete Burns. Oh, you were trying to buy imagine. records from. See how that might be upsetting. And um, so you needed it needed a. Oh, that would have been terrifying. Did he look he like was quite Pete nice Burns, actually. I mean, yeah, it was Pete Burns. He, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was quite. He was quite all right in there, but he was. He, but it's before the old collagen injected lips. Yeah. And stuff, okay, yeah. Going back and stuff. Now you know about this because I'm interested in this because um, dance record shops. Was this a dance record shop? No, no, it was Pro Punk Record Shop. Oh, the, okay. The because, pro. So where did the thing come from? Whenever I go past uh, dance record shops, dance specialists in Soho, and they're usually kind of black, painted black at the front, aren't yeah. they? And they've got about five records inside. Yeah. And they've got a counter. It looks like a sex shop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's clearly, the person behind the counter is standing on a platform yeah. to make him about a foot above yeah. even the tallest customer. What do you is think that, that is? a dance record thing? It, or is it, that a DJ it thing? It became more, it got more and more accentuated as, as the rave took off. Because it used to be, you know, we, we, you know, we all know that record companies can be quite intimidating and people behind the counter are very full of themselves. But in dance music, because there was exclusivity of records, the number of times you go to, oh, you know, what, what have you got? Oh, sorry, mate, that's only for the DJs. Well, how do you know I'm not a DJ? So they'd have it. I'm interested yeah. in this. They'd have it. How do you know that? And you have coin just... of the realm and they wouldn't let you have it. Yeah, save it for the DJs, mate. Or actually, more often than not, because it was based on. Um, having incredibly new things that nobody else had, instead of going in and saying, hello, I would like to buy the new single by Rhythmatic on Network Records, please, you'd go in and go, um, I like Yorkshire Bleep Clonk, what have you got? <laughs> and they'd say, well, I've got this, this and this, but you can't have them because they're for the DJs. However, I have got this, which you can have. Uh, and then you say, can I listen to it? And they'd go, all right then. And they'd have to wait for 20 minutes while the fellow behind the counter's mate was practising on the, 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 deck the deck because he probably didn't have a technics at home. Right. And then if you're lucky, you got to play 30 seconds of you know this kind of new bleep clonk that you wanted and then you might decide you'd happily part with the six quid. So you didn't, you didn't say, I'm no sick of being treated in this fashion. I'm going down to Woolworths. They would say, the new what, Robbie Williams Woolworths record. is that a way, man, they'd say. No, yeah, because you had to go through the, you know, the humiliation. And all that. But then on the other hand, if you got in with the record shop, it was great because I used to go to a record shop in Leeds called Crash, uh, where the guy behind the counter, the wonderful Chuck, uh, later of the band The Hollow Men, um, and still knocking about, he's a very good bloke, uh, basically relieved me of all my student grant money for fantastic records. But he would Is that how you to... got in with the shop? By allowing them to relieve you of your <laughs> yeah. entire grant? That usually, that's pretty good customer relations. Yeah. Well, no, I used to go in and I used to say to Chuck, um, what's, what, what's here? And he'd go, this is what you need. And you go, you need this, oh, that's you need this, like, you need like this, you need this. Yeah. this oh, that's quite need. good. Yeah. I remember going into, into Jumbo Records in Leeds and being told that I needed the De La Soul album. Nobody had heard of, the De, of De La Soul at all. You need this one. Take it away. You need it. That's good. That's good. And style. it worked out. That's so, good technique. So it wasn't all So this is interesting. Because this sort of ties in with what I was... I was wondering about this whole megastore thing and I was trying to write this column for the next issue of Word about it. But... Um, it strikes me that at some point in the 90s, I can remember when mega stores, big stores, were hugely exciting. You went yeah. in somewhere that had everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I think we kind of passed, at some point during the 90s, it would be great to put a date on it, we suddenly had too much stuff. And I so you go into a shop and you think, 
I'm depressed by how much I remember. Stuff I remember that honeymoon in. period vividly because I remember Paul Denoyer writing a wonderful piece. He writes a lot for Word, writing a wonderful piece about the HMV Megastore at Oxford Circus and saying it was a day's ride on a fresh horse to get from the reggae section yeah, yeah, to the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. And that seemed really exciting. Yeah. And, and I, 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 you're I, I, right. It, you, yeah. you, you reacted against it. You wanted to go back to specialist stuff. Whereas, you well, know, what Andrew's talking dance, about yeah. is so that's, attractive. That's, but you're going there. You're, you're yeah. dealing with a major expert who is prescribing yeah. precisely but what then, you But then the, the real mega mega stores had to sort of turn themselves into these kind of bustling souks where they, you'd think it was a megastore but actually this bit here is the dance section and it's full of white labels and it's full of things you know, that have been written on in magic marker hot tune major trance whatever you know jewelsies came it's very it, similar around the Dan yeah. Hicks records yeah <laughs> yeah so you know so the megastores had to start to emulate the, 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 specialist, the specialist dance stores and did well. they do it convincingly um, th- they did it pretty well, actually. I mean, well, the, the ones in London, I think. I mean, uh, uh, Oxford Street HMV, uh, the Imperial Death Star of selling records, did pretty well, um, largely because they could walk around the corner to a specialist store, see what they were selling, and, and, and probably emulate it. I would have thought, and it, it, it was a pretty great, uh, a pretty, pretty great service on, on the dance side. But I think that moment you're talking about, you know, when we all realised that actually we don't need everything in one place. If you look, you'll see it coincides with the invention of the internet because yeah, that's the point at which you go. Actually, do I really want to trudge into town to try and find this thing, or will I just buy it off Amazon? Yeah, because you're, with, with a thing like Amazon and other retailers, you're straight into the stock control me- mechanism, aren't you? Yeah, you're not you're not having to decide which bit of the store to go to mm. to aspirate. Hope that the assistant yeah. knows that yeah. they've got it and all that. You just type it in, and yeah. <laughs> there but it is. You, you think, know how many copies they've got, pretty much. Don't you think this kind of this character that Andrew's describing so so clearly? Is that I, I think anyone who's seen the film. Uh, High fidelity, you know the Jack Black character yeah. who works in the record shop. Everybody has met that guy. I don't know if yeah. you remember him, but there's a guy who comes in every day and he wants to buy a Captain Beefheart bootleg. And eventually, he's just coming on Friday and I sell it to him. He comes in and he just says, "I've changed my mind. I, d- I don't <laughs> yeah. feel like selling it today." And it's, it's just wonderful the kind of power and arrogance of yeah, these people. Yeah. But, th- but those places are disappearing. Yeah, you know? and, and actually, that's part of the reason why yeah, they're disappearing yeah. because if you, went, if you went into the HMV and said, "I want." You know this weird mix of whatever they didn't say we're saving that for the DJs. They said six pounds, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I would you now, like a discount card for your yeah, next absolutely. purchase? Now tell me if this is significant because I, I I've been on holiday the last few years to Brittany, and uh, and uh, we tend to go into Camper, which is the sort of nearest largest town, very nice old you know cathedral town, and there is one record shop in Camper as far as I can work out, and it's down a very pleasant cobbled street, and it's. Uh, and it's a bit of a specialist in, in, in classical music, world music, yeah. jazz. It's very kind of authentic and it's a tiny shop but because there's quite a few people around on, on a decent day. There's quite a few people in there. And the last few years I have been in there and uh, just killing time for about half an hour or something while some members of my family are shopping elsewhere. And there is usually a girl serving in there. And this being France, it's very often a pretty girl <laughs> serving in there who is immensely helpful and keeps coming around and saying, is there anything, is there anything you want me to find for you or whatever? And I just wonder. And I, every year I spend £30 <laughs> pounds yeah. Yeah. just because this place yeah. is so nice... Yeah. Uh, there's st- it's full of stuff that I kind of like the idea of, and when I get it home, I never, never really play it again. Yeah, but I sort of like the idea of it. It's the perfect, you know, uh, coincidence between mm. the product and the place and the politeness yeah. of the person. Yeah. And and I, you do sort of wonder whether this is something that might come back in the world of record well, shops. 
Because I, I also... This very attractive yeah. female yeah. assistant. Well, <laughs> no, well, it's, it's not audio, some guy no, in a black yeah. T-shirt looking at his nosey. No, no, exactly. The audio equivalent of those kind of cheap bottles of Spanish brandy that taste really nice on holiday. Yeah. It sounded so brilliant on the yeah. camera side. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> to me by a rather attractive yeah. French Yeah, female. yes. But anyway, on the 27th of July... Uh, I remember this, this is my birthday. My wife and I were in the West End wandering around and we went big record shops on, on Oxford Street and there was tumbleweed blowing through these places. Really? We walked up Marylebone High Street and I, I'll give them free publicity, Daunts in Marylebone High Street is, you know, they call themselves the most beautiful bookshop in London and they're quite rightly. And they're yeah. a beautiful place. Very, very well run and they, they, they tend to be especially a travel bookshop but they do lots more than that. And I go in there Friday afternoon, and it's packed. And these are people buying books. They're, mm. they're buying books to take on holiday, paying full price for books quite happily. But what they've done is this place has defined its customer absolutely yeah, brilliant. Completely. And it's, yeah. it's not just that you can't download books, is it? It's something more than that. It's something oh, no, more it's than that. You walk in there, and, and it's, you know, you also you have a relationship with this, and this is going to sound terribly snobby. You like to feel you have a relationship with the other customers. Oh yeah, Dawn's it's a little bit like restaurants sell them. It's precisely it? Dawn's bookshop. The people who go there feel they are. It's probably like being equivalent to a kind of club class or something. Yeah, because they feel they are. It's a bit like when you're on an aeroplane and you see somebody across the aisle and total stranger, and they pick up a copy of New Yorker, and you've got a copy of New Yorker <laughs> too. You, go, you uh, both go, oh, we're clever. Oh, we're clever. We're brilliant. We're going to sit here and feel really yeah. smug now Meanwhile, for eight hours. We ain't got a copy of New Yorker. Yeah, me and Lily are reading Viz. <laughs> but it's a bit of that, isn't it? Yeah, no, you just wonder. And I thought to myself, there is no record shop like this. Not that I know. You know, there are kind of, there are sort of, uh, you know, uh, you championship vinyl type yeah. you know, caves and cellars, you know, with guys in mad T-shirts and, mm. you know, with Captain Beefheart bootlegs. But I don't know anywhere. I don't know an upmarket record shop. Well, Do maybe you? they should start offering um, free uh, glasses of fine and complex Bourgoin Aligotti, David. When you walk in through the door, and a, <laughs> and a, and a, and a beetroot risotto sandcake. Yeah. So, 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 so by Amelie from the film. Yes. No, Monsieur, Monsieur Epworth. I will buy any number of records. Grand pile, Grand pile, Monsieur Epworth. Is it not time you went to La Plage avec votre family? Yes, I do not want to go out to dinner tonight, Mr. Evans. No. Three times in one week. Could you do a record shop? That's enough with the the French. That that shop you're talking about, though, could you do the record shop? That's a nice place to be. Everybody, people laugh at this the the Starbucks record enterprise here, music, their label. But there are a handful of here record shops in America. And oh, this are, is the, their own yeah. label, right. And I went to one in um, San Francisco, here music. And of course, you know, you see Starbucks, you think, that's it, the death of rock. The most corporate thing going. I went there, it was great. Really, really nice. Lots of comfy chairs, listening posts, friendly people, a really oh, good selection posts. of music. So what were they stocking, though? Way they had more... everything. They had weird, wonky electronica. They had Starbucks music. Obviously, they had jazz and... Joni Mitchell and Paul McCartney, all that carry on. But they also had, you know, if you wanted Orteca and plunky music like that, they had but, reggae, they But had presumably they didn't have, I'm guessing, presumably they didn't have everything. Because when I go into the shop in Kemper, 
And when I go into uh, when I go into Daunt's, the bookshop, I tend to assume that the stock is a little bit of a selection in itself. Bullshit. Yeah, no, I tend right. to think it's there, sort of because it's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that, that's it. You're right. It's not everything. You don't walk in and you're not confronted by Racks of the Hard Fire album and Robbie Williams' Greatest Hits and Would You Like to Buy Back in Black by Amy Winehouse. You're, you go in and it's you feel like you're entering a place where they've taken a little bit of time over what they're going to yeah. uh, offer you. And they're going to let you sit down and listen to it for a bit and have a cup of coffee if you want. I think it's going to be interesting to see what what happens in this huge, great shakeout. You know, FOP being taken over by HMV, HMV repositioning itself. Loads of this, you know, retail space becoming available. I think it's going to be interesting to see if anybody does anything like that. I mean, it clearly can't succeed in every high high street in the country. It's just not going to. But you wonder if it could happen in certain pockets, you know. Well, it it could be this. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, coming to London and going to Virgin Megastore was a big deal. And it was what you would attempt to bunk off the visit to the House of Commons yes. to do, to go to, you know, get your yeah. copy of whatever you couldn't get in, in whatever provincial town you lived in. Um, and I can see the kind of Bordersification happening, you know, because people do go and just hang around in Borders for a while and read some books yeah, and yeah. coffee and then realise they've spent three hours just doing nothing really. That's fine. But you wonder whether that could be applied to music, partly because of the nature of music, you've got to, you know, yourself into something to hear it and also because music's appeal is actually quite young uh you know it's one thing hanging around in borders while everybody's sitting about reading a lovely book of travel you know or some poetry it's another thing going to a record shop where there's hundreds of kids there who want to hear the latest grind tune yes want to hear the libertines well you know know, there may be there may be a future in a record shop that doesn't let people under the age of 40 go in you know well let's get the vcs together dave and uh, i'm sure we can see what we can do (laughs) i still still like the idea that you're you're going to this french shop and saying how friendly they are because it works the other way because they they don't get many customers calling them mon petit chouchou when they go in the morning (laughs) we've done this joke haven't we sorry we've done it move on it's done a A magazine a website a podcast the word i saw a clip the other day of crosby stills nash and young Picking up some award for still being alive. You know. Look away from the screen now, viewers. This could be stressful. I know what you're going to say. And Those guys have been a very... right load of stew, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> we have there are four members. Okay, three members look as if you are seeing them through the back of a spoon. Don't yeah, you? oh, it's true. Yeah. Who are yeah. they, Mark? Well, it's the, the ones. It looks like the, the the funny mirror down the bottom of the pier, doesn't it? They Who are, are they? Crosby. Uh, Stills, but the weird thing is that Nash. But I think this maybe some weight transference has taken place because Nash appears to be a sort of seven-stone beanpole <laughs> who's donated quite generously two or three stone each to these guys. And I think they should have a sort of they should just all pool it all together. You say there's intra-brand liposuction on the. It's <laughs> something very like that. But I mean, the Cross. Do you remember when they appeared at Live Aid? I can remember the shop. We hadn't seen them for years. And the cross came on, and the man was gigantic, wasn't he? The, yeah. the old walrus, there he yeah. was. He thought, well, but then again, he thought he had a tendency to go that way. Then the camera pans left, and we saw Stephen Stills. Do you remember? <laughs> I was watching it with you, actually. And the, he was just ginormous, wasn't he? There was just there was about three of him. They sent up a satellite to photograph the other side of Right. They had to put an RSJ under that section of the stage. <laughs> the man was huge. As Bob Monkhouse once said, a man built in the days when meat was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Peter, we don't see the man who, got his, the man who got his money's worth out of a nice speak your weights machine. We've done that one before. But, but anyway, but anyway this, does this lead naturally onto uh, no, a okay. thing about... Oh, go on, we can well, okay, yeah, uh, just this, this question, it struck me, it's an interesting area, is who are the best and worst preserved? Oh, that's elder good. statesman of popular yes. music. Well, never look at a member of a picture of a member of Yes. 
I don't think. I wouldn't know if I was. Well, no, you you wouldn't. I mean, it's terribly like... disrespectful to say this about the great Steve Howe, but he man looks like a melted candle. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> His face is just... He does. And uh, I, uh, the summer looked we're, we're really well-preserved. Yeah, go on. Still. Well, I think Robbie Robertson still looks pretty good. I think Keith Richards... I mean, obviously, it's ridiculous to do yeah, a pilot. Well, what what the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but but what are you preserving? Looks, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A well-preserved Keith Richards. He looks like he's literally Richards, been yeah. pickled in vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. a, like a walnut. When we note the fact that the Rolling Stones, for a bunch of gentlemen in their 60s, all have he- their hair... Are we a bit suspicious? I'll have their hair. I'll have hair. Somebody's hair anyway. A head of hair, yeah. Are yeah. we in any way suspicious? Yeah. What, that being incredibly rich actually makes you get rattled in a different way to the way the rest of us get rattled? No, the, 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 the rich you are, the your hair becomes so luxuriant, thick, thatch-like. There's been some some thatching work gone on. Some thatching. Some, some, <laughs> some thatching. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the Michael Palin character in this. Anyway, I did my top five best preserved. Oh, okay, in reverse order. Number five, Phil Collins. Well, he looked because like he looked like right. that. Right. Exactly he doesn't look, look like that. Looks the same. Yeah. He's also like a potato. I mean, it hasn't changed. You know, yeah. so thirty-five years down That's the line enough. or whatever, not changed at all. Yeah. Susie, fifty. Looks, looks better. Right. Yeah, looks better. Actually, looks better. I think she looks better. Yeah, looks terrific. Admittedly, there's a fair amount of slap. Um, yeah, she'd be the first to oh, come. Yeah. But then there always was. Yeah, she'd be the first to come. It's a good look to grow job. into, you know. Yeah, and it, she'll grow into it even better when she's eighteen. <laughs> and number three, yeah, well, bold as a coot, but I think wears it very well. James Taylor. Yeah, it looks terrific. It looks very, very young. He looks as if he's kind of arrived at the age that he ought to be. Actually, yeah, doesn't look as if he's clinging on to former glories. Uh, my own personal, you know, you know I've always carried a torch. Go on. For <laughs> Go on. And I note she's 60 at her next birthday. Oh, well, I've got a guess. It's not going to be Patty Smith at the day. I trip you up there. She's gorgeous. Yeah. Dave's I computer is covered in pictures of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've thrown you now, haven't I? I've thrown you. Yeah. <laughs> Patty Smith, those big old tattoos. Shut up and shave. No. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, where were we? <laughs> Come on, then. I was talking about Lulu. Oh, Lulu. Oh, that's absolutely uh, fair. Lulu, sensational. Oh, yeah. Great haircuts, too. She looks fantastic. Yeah. And at number one, I only say this because I saw a picture of him uh, yesterday arriving at the Emmy Awards or whatever in the States. Tony Bennett. Oh, yeah. He's 81 oh, yeah. years yeah. old. Oh, and yeah. he looks sensational. Yeah. And not in a kind of desperate... I've been worked on in a huge no. way. Sensational. He looks like yeah. an older character in The Sopranos. But do you think the man? Yeah, he... I was just thinking exactly that. I was thinking Phil Leotardo from The Sopranos yeah. is and Tony Bennett. They're the same guy. And he's well, that's a and he's eating a hundred ways. He's eating his own body weight in tortellini every day, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. and, and sucked out a big vat of uh, very, very fine very... Uh, red wine. So t- <laughs> Tony Bennett, God bless you, sir. You know, he's, he's top of my best preserve. I've got, I've got to add John Fogerty. Have you seen a picture of John Fogerty recently, or are they heavily? No, retouched? I've, no I've seen. Yeah, I oh, don't good know. God, I mean, just put him back in a check shirt. It'd be the same bloke he was when he was twenty-five. Really. Well, then again, he probably made quite a lot of money. He could quite easily have spent the last 25 years just sitting in a hammock, uh, strung between two gigantic redwood trees, probably uh, makes you reading fat, a copy of Vanity Fair. Maybe it would be, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he's had a lot of stress in his life. Right, right. No? How about you? Rod is pouring. Well, it's funny, because like, of, of my heroes, few of, few of them have uh, got over the other side of 50 yet, so we're not going to find out. 
Leicester for a few for so a few some years. Some of them look as if they're uh, New Order. Look as if they're racing past well, fifty. New Order, yeah, I think they're they're the wrong side of fifty now, and they certainly have got they they they're subject to gravity now. They're a bit wider than they were, <laughs> um, but they don't look they don't look catastrophically bad. You know, Morrissey and Johnny, what I think, look pretty good. They look yeah, great. They look so, Morrissey looks very good. Yeah, see, um, is there work there? I don't think there is actually. I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I think you. There's a, there's, a, there's a bit of hair colour going on there. There's a bit of hair colour, but what there isn't is any stitchery going on. I don't think. Okay. You can see. Have you gone around, have gone around the back of him and had a look behind yeah, the I've been around yeah. the back of Morrissey, Dave, and I can attest <laughs> that the hair has not been interfered with, uh, except possibly with a bit of colourage. Bit of colourage. Do you remember Keith Richards when he kept dyeing his hair? Because him and Mick Jagger clearly dyes his hair. Because, um, you know, like uh, Ronald Reagan, his, his, his face looks, just starts to look whiter and whiter. In fact, yeah. Reagan said, I don't dye my hair, I bleach my face. <laughs> yeah. no, he didn't say that, actually. Sorry, we used to say it about yeah. it. But, um, but no, Keith decided one day to stop dyeing his hair, didn't he? What he did was, he let it grow out for about two or three months, but he didn't really see him. And then he dyed it blue. Yeah. Do you remember that? Did you see, and he's like, filling it with keys. And well, yeah, to, 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 I think to distract, to distract you, you yeah, from like the fact that he didn't immediately go, Christ, yeah. stop yeah. dyeing his hair. Yeah, he filled it full of uh, trinkets and uh, yeah. sort of spoons. And, dare we, and dare they we, do this, don't they? Uh, yeah. Bruce, dare Bruce we Stevens raise the hair. question, though? Dare oh. we raise the question of Bono's hair? Which Ooh. is a suspicious Ooh. matter. Let's be honest. Now, OK, right, right, let's just go back a step. Now, uh, Bono, does, when he appears, does he generally have something on his head? Yeah, uh, well, I don't know. It's not his hair, it's the eyes. Is it just the... Up. You never see his eyes, he's always got these glasses on. That's, yeah, that's true. Oh, right. So the hair is well, the, the hair is getting more aggressively super black. Oh, right, well, there's bound to be colour Yeah. Bound to be. Well, do you think there's a bit of forward creepage on the go as well? Assisted, <laughs> assisted forward creep. But gentlemen our age, not Andrew's age, but my age, you're going to get a haircut and they now offer you a cut in colour. Have, yeah. have you ever been tempted by that? They have a cut and colour. It's a little I trim. I know, exactly. Look a at, little yeah. trim. And then they just, you know, hold you upside yeah. down by your ankles and dunk you in a great yeah. vat of tar. They offered you a cut and colour. I have been yeah. offered it. Well, I, yeah. There was, there was a guy who used to work at... Well, he works for... Well, I can't mention who he is. Obviously, Barry McElhenney. But uh, <laughs> he works for... Let's call him Mr X, though. His real name is Barry McElhenney. <laughs> he works for... <laughs> Barry, very briefly. I hope you're not listening to this, Baz. Did go for the cut and colour. So somebody, somebody took him for a walk around the block and put a paternal arm around his shoulder. Probably me and said, Baz, leave it. You're, just gonna, you're gonna finish up like Keith Richards in ten years' time you'll have little spoons in your hair. Yeah. You're doing all that shit. Yeah. You'll have a penis earring. So anyway, uh, best and West preserved. We'll probably sling sling that up on the uh, Sorry, I'm deaf and mad. Yeah. We had a special was, request uh, from a viewer. No more clapping or slapping the knee. Yeah. It's making my eardrums go the foot into my head. The, you know, lots of uh, vehicles were speeding down motorways in excess of speed of it. Now. And these people probably just ploughed off into a grass bird. Yeah. The sheer racket of Dave applauding. The the stereo. So best and worst preserved. That'll be on the site and you can contribute to that. Your own suggestions. Yeah. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast. A way of life. But at this point in the programme, it is customary for Andrew and me to go. It's time for the horror. The horror, yes. The horror old rock anecdote. And this week, I'm pleased to announce that it's not me. Over two. Mark Henry Allen. All right. Actually, I must just mention first uh, this terrific uh, email I got here from Gary. 
who says how much he'd enjoyed listening to our Oriole rock anecdotes. He says he passes them off as his own <laughs> to impress people at dinner parties. So, so do we. Very funny. He says, uh, he says, Mark, could you make sure that this week's horror is a winner? Because I'm having a Latin American themed dinner party next week. Perhaps you can deliver a Latin American themed HORA. So. So, so I rather can't... than uh, have a regular, I think we should have. Because the Mexicans dance on the hats. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I thought you were doing I I I I Moosey by Modern Romance. That's well, way off, wasn't it? No, can you? No, but I, I don't know. Well, I tell you what, I, was, I thought I might uh, briefly do it. I had to do it really quickly because it's such a long, complicated story. It doesn't have a massive, hilarious punchline, but it does tell you so much about the world of rock and roll. I think, which is the story of the Stones at Live Aid. Have I told you? I'm sure I have. Well, the Stones at Live Aid, if you remember, they didn't play. Yeah, the there, were, there were no Stones yeah. at Live Aid. There were no, well, there were Stones, <laughs> and we'll come to that later, but there was no Rolling Stones at Live Aid. And about three or four weeks after Live Aid, I got to interview uh, Ronnie Wood and his wife Joe for those sort of couples features they used to do in Elle magazine. And we stumbled through this, uh, you know, ch- chat about you know, the kids and, you know, the garden and what colour of you know, furniture they had. And at the end of it, I said, look, Ronnie, just, I've, just, I've just got to ask you something. Because Libre was very fresh in our minds. I said, what on earth happened to the Rolling Stones? And also, I wanted to, to ask him what on earth had happened to Bob Dylan. Because remember, it was absolutely, just to be honest, catastrophic performance. And Ronnie told me the story. He was brilliant. Well, basically what happened was, <clears throat> Bob Geldof had rung up Mick Jagger early on and said, um, we're having this uh, charity show. Would you like to sign up? And of course, Mick Jagger had said no. No, he wouldn't, because and I understand this to some yeah. extent. You know, the guy he only knew as the former member of the Boomtown Rats, his yeah. career was at an all-time low. Bit of a chance, a bit of a wide boy, trying to get him to, you know, attach himself contractually to something that might just finish up with him and Banana Rama or whatever. <laughs> it was a stone, you know, and nobody else. Nick you know Kershaw, what I mean? Nick Kershaw, obviously in Sade, would not be the great earth-moving thing. So Mick Jagger turned it down, and very, very rapidly it became obvious that Lion Maid was going to be the most colossal story. And that the Who had reformed to play it, and Led Zeppelin had reformed to play it, and the Stones began to regret bitterly that Mick Jagger had taken this decision on their part not to play. And then Mick Jagger himself had managed to get himself crowbar, <laughs> manacled himself onto the bill, not in England, but in America. I think he was second on the bill in America, supporting Bob Dylan. And then brought on to back up his show, I think Hall of Notes, if I remember rightly, and uh, well, Tina Well, he did Turner. the video with David. Oh, no, that comes later, right? That comes later. Did he actually play in the state? No, that's coming. Yes, he played. He no. played. That comes later. At this point, no, Keith, Keith, Tina Turner, Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood are out. I don't think uh, uh, Charlie Watts particularly cared one way or the other, but Keith Richards and Ronnie Wood, you know, if there's a big old party going on, and they're going to be, they want to be on it. And the idea that Mick Jagger has turned down the Stones and has now got himself on the bill. So there's sitting there. There's only two weeks to go, right? And they're in Ronnie's brownstone house in New York. I remember him describing this, him and Keith. And they got a call from Bob Dylan. And Bob Dylan had been asked to headline the Philadelphia show. And actually, Dylan's career was at a real low point then. I mean, in 1985, he was, he was, you know, it was not his happiest time. And he had kind of lost his nerve and didn't feel he could actually finish this show without a little bit of support. So this was perfect. Two guys who wanted to play Live Aid, with one guy who hadn't really got the nerve to be the headlining act. So they all got together and said, right, we'll play with you. At which point Jagger managed to cobble together in only about ten days and a further 
piece of ammunition, which was his appearance with David Bowie in a video of Dancing on yes. the Street. Do you remember that? Just to make sure there was even more Mick Jagger in the show. And I just watched it actually on YouTube. It is absolutely astonishing. Do you remember Mick Jagger wears a kind of a lime green blue song? Do you remember? Yeah. It's like a, like a lime green shirt with very sort of, you know, uh, you know baggy sleeves. And... Bowie comes on wearing a sort of uh, ghastly Primrose type of Macintosh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and they do this. And, and so this was the final straw, you know. They just couldn't stand it. So he'd been on, and uh, you know, Ronnie told me that. And I was like, I want to know with Ronnie why the performance had been so absolutely catastrophic. Do you remember how bad? You, know, you probably remember watching. I, I didn't watch it. it I, I was avoided it. Just the point. And I finished up watching it in the Live Aid club with Bob Gallup. Remember Bob Gallup being absolutely astonished. They were all shouting abuse. They were shouting abuse. At Two, they couldn't believe how mad it was. Excellent. And, uh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so so and, did I. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, anyways, Ronnie's, I said, Ronnie, you've got to explain to me what went wrong. And he says, well, half the problem was they got there quite early and the show had gone on a bit late or whatever and there'd been too much refreshment, he said, which I, I took to mean probably large balloon glasses of brandy and probably, unless we hear from my learned friends uh, otherwise, probably large quantities of nose ningle. That's what I reckon. <laughs> I reckon there's a bit of ningle going on. But anyway, by the time they stumbled up those stairs on the stage, right, you've got to remember various things, right? A, they were obviously completely out of it. They looked shocking. Ronnie was wearing a vest, I think, which is, everyone doesn't want to draw too much attention to. He'd been given the wrong guitar for some reason. The guitar was completely out of tune. And when they get up there, he says, he can hear behind the star curtain the whole of We Are the World, which was the Lionel Richie all yeah, rehearsing. We're rehearsing their song, We Are the World. And only three feet behind him was Cindy Lauper. So Cindy Lauper is, is practising her 75 notes per second <laughs> yeah. delivery, which is going to steal the show three minutes later. And they're all struggling. So they start playing. He said, they'd rehearsed, they decided with Dylan what songs they were going to do, made a list of the three songs they could not, you know, go yeah. off this track. Yeah. It was and Dylan starts playing a song uh, called The Ballad of Hollis Brown, which is from The Times They Are Changing in 1964. Not a well-known song, even no. for a great Dylan student like uh, Ronnie. So Ronnie, at this point, said to me, said, oh, I'd never heard this song. I said, I- I'd heard of Collis Brown, so I thought, presumed it was a song about a cough mixture. <laughs> but anyway, so you've just got to imagine, he's playing a guitar that's completely out of tune on a song he's never heard and thinks is about cough mixture with Cindy Lauper singing Six Feet By. In front of the largest audience. The largest television audience that has ever, ever been assembled and ever will be assembled. Ever and he's wearing a string vest. And, I mean, there's but no great... But at least... They were above Mick on the bill. They were above. The so, point yeah, is, they were above Mission Mick. Mission accomplished. They won. They won. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it tells you so much about the kind of tortured complexity of these events. Yeah, yeah. You know, because when the there's a major star-studded concert, the only place a star doesn't want to be is sitting at home watching it on the telly. I know. They can't bear it. No, it absolutely eats away. I know. You can't blame them. They're hoping it's going to be a complete catastrophe. So they say, oh, "I showed a great deal of foresight in being out of that." Didn't I? Anyway, thank you very much for the horror. Hooray! Jolly good. And uh, that's it from uh, the Word Podcast for this week. Uh, Anything you want to know about the magazine, wordmagazine.co.uk. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. (laughs) 